and welcome to Frock Flicks, the historical costume movie and TV podcast and blog and all kinds of other things. I'm your host, Tristan Albass, and I'm here with our original Broadway recording cast of Sarah Lorraine, Kendra Van Cleave, and we are podcasting this time um, on the TV series The Great from 2020 that is currently on Hulu. And what we're doing is we are taking two episodes at a time. Uh, there are 10 episodes total, so and we're doing them every other week. So you can figure that out. Or maybe this is sometime way in the distant future and you can listen to them all at once. Maybe you're listening to them outside with other yeah. people around in the future. We don't currently believe in outside. <laughs> yes, currently we're still pandemic bound, uh, stuck in our little uh, houses separately, all three of us separately, uh, watching and uh, listening and podcasting and blogging for your pleasure. Um, I was going to mention that we will also have, um, in addition to just posting the podcast, we are posting recap uh, blog posts with uh, screen caps of the costumes that um, we're going to talk about. So first, as I said, the, the series is The Great, starring um, Elle Fanning and Nicholas Holt. It is about Catherine the Great of Russia. It is a not historically accurate take. It is explicitly said so. Um, and it starts when Catherine uh, marries Peter. Uh, so the showrunner is Tony McNamara, who was a, a co-writer on The Favorite, uh, which came out in 2018 when it was about Queen Anne and won tons of awards and was fantastic. And I feel like this may end up being uh, slightly controversial in the same way amongst our audience because the favorite was very well loved and also not very well received. It was very, uh, it was one or the other, um, per our blog and, and podcast of the time. And, um, the, the take is somewhat similar in that again, it's not historically accurate. Um, it has a comedic take. Um, it's very, uh, it's taking the piss out of history very much, but it's um, also very stylized and artistic. To some extent, not not. I don't think it's as star as, as like artsy stylized in the same way. Okay, uh, sure. And we'll get to that the the production design and the costume design in in a in a minute. Um, but I feel like people are going to have kind of strong reactions uh, in the same way that they did as a favorite. The costume designer is there's actually two. Holly Waddington uh, designed the first episode, and then Emma Fryer uh, did the episodes two through 10. And Emma is the one who's done most of the press. Yeah, so there's the two costume designers credited. Um, and Emma Fryer has done a little bit more press and talked a little bit more about um, the evolution of the costume design. Also, Fanning has talked about how she worked with Fryer. So actually, I really wonder how much or what specific um, involvement um, uh, Waddington had. Um, you know, maybe she was brought in and kind of set the tone or, or did something, did kind of the, the very initial work on it. Um, much as has happened plenty of times on series. Right. I'm also wondering, often there's a pilot. And so maybe the pilot was filmed. And then um, that's not to say, obviously, the pilot designer is going to set a lot of the look. Um, but then it's going to be further developed and refined um, once it gets a green light. 
definitely. That that often happens. Uh, so, is there anything we want to talk about about the series as a in general before we really dive into the costumes? Because there's, or or actually, we could talk about them consecutive continuously. Sarah. Oh, I, I, just going to say that. Um, so I I'm just now diving into Catherine the Great's history. You know, like on a biographical level. Um, and so this show is very much not adhering to kind of, it, it adheres to the high points of her life. The details are where everything gets incredibly fuzzy. So if you're a Catherine the Great aficionado, you're going to start this and be like, what the actual fuck? Just don't let it get to you. Power through it. It's actually a very entertaining, very well done uh, show even if it doesn't get the history 100% right, or maybe even 50% right. I think, yeah, it's so loose. All sorts of things like Peter was, he was, wasn't he like the nephew of the previous empress and she was still alive when Catherine showed up, blah, blah, blah. I mean, what I like though is there have been, whether or not they've all been successful, there've been a lot of straightforward takes on Catherine the Great's life. Um, that's why I'm able to recite some of those facts, less from reading and more from films and TV. So, you know, I think it's, it's in a way well-worn territory. And so now they're doing something different and, um, do those subtle nuances matter if what you're trying to do is more comedy and stylized whatever? Yeah. I will say that uh, the, the character of Elizabeth, um, his aunt in the show, uh, does not correspond to the Empress Elizabeth, who was the real Peter III's uh, aunt in uh, real life and who was Empress when um, he married Catherine. Uh, who was at the time Sophie, you know, Princess Sophie from Prussia. Uh, <laughs> so a lot of that, it, it, the, the show just dives right in. It's like, you know, she gets married. She, In fact, the first scene of the first episode, if I'm not jumping ahead too far, is basically young Sophie, but she's still known as Catherine in this because that would be confusing, apparently. Um, she's, she's talking about how she's going to be marrying Peter III, who is now already emperor. In real life, she spent... At, I, again, I'm really new to the entire timeline of Catherine the Great, but it was several years as Archduchess before she was uh, Empress. Um, so she married Peter III. He wasn't even Peter III at the time. He was just the nephew of the current Empress, the son of the previous Emperor and Empress. And, <clears throat> and then, yeah, spent a number of years in the court at Russia um, before Empress Elizabeth died, and then Peter III uh, ascended the throne, Kendra. Just a few years, if it helps. Uh, the real Catherine married Peter in 1745, um, and then Elizabeth, the Empress, died in 1762. Peter became emperor, and then it wasn't very long. It was that same year that Catherine's coup happened. Yeah, I was, I was trying to remember if it was like several years or a decade or more. And it was really a decade or more before she became Empress Catherine. And, uh, and, and so, the, but the show just dives right in. It's basically like she gets married to the emperor. He's already the emperor. And then all the shenanigans start happening. Uh, the character of uh, his aunt Elizabeth in the show, she's, she's still alive in the show. <laughs> And she's just this, you know, extraneous kind of wacky character um, that that sort of serves to, at least in the first two episodes that I've watched so far, serves to give kind of a life advice to Peter and try to help things between Catherine and Peter. So um, 
since that was one of my favorite characters because wacky aunt um because she is she's hilarious and she's just she's crazy she's super crazy um and the he so yes peter is introduced as being already the emperor um and he his his mom's dead and in a glass coffin sort of thing um propped up there that he comes and talks to every now and then which i just have to say based on the whole eleanor of toledo dress like that dress should not be holding up that well if it's on a rotting corpse continue well we don't know how old it is and anyway anyway I mean, we don't know what the condition well whatever um but the impression that i was getting as i was watching this because i'd forgotten that he was necessarily a nephew because he was it wasn't i i thought he was like an adopted not nephew he was nephew but adopted son as it were um of the previous empress and he was talking and the way he was talking about his dead mom in the corpse coffin thing there um was like she was the empress before um which you know kind of scans with the previous the history that was in my brain and then Aunt, crazy auntie was just crazy auntie coming around with her butterflies and her weird not really sex advice but kind of like i don't know in her goth romantic poet top um i mean she's so anyway the two are totally disconnected anyway it's all totally disconnected from history at, at, at points which yeah okay i hear a lot of our audience just screaming and going ah! and there are plenty of times where we would do that too this time i feel like yeah i don't mind sarah i was gonna say that the that's exactly the kind of thing for me there's in my brain and one of these days i'll write a post about it uh, how there's an equation in my brain of like you take a movie a historical movie and and it can have varying levels of historical accuracy but if it hits like a certain thing, a certain like level of intelligence and great costume content, I'm willing to overlook <laughs> the lack of historicity in it. Um, and I feel like this series so far, by the end of the first episode, for sure, uh, actually halfway through the first episode, I was like, okay, they get it. They get it. They're mucking about with the history left, right, and center but they're actually presenting a very intelligent, very nuanced and very savvy look at kind of, and Catherine, I feel like actually Catherine is pretty much as I would like to imagine her actually being probably, you know, she maybe not what wasn't that actually in real life, but a uh, very relatable character, but also stayed very close to like what you would expect the uh, strictures of somebody of a woman living in like the mid 18th century would have to deal with at that level of society. And so I kind of was like, they get it, they get it. They're trying to make a really good story um, to get rid of all of the, because Catherine's history, her life is just a, you know, encyclopedic. You could have like an entire encyclopedia of multiple volumes written on pretty much everything from birth to death. And they're, what they're really trying to do is just get everything into a coherent plot <laughs> and that requires cutting out some stuff and moving things around i'm okay with it because for two reasons one is it's out in front saying this is only very loosely based on history and i compare it to something like shikar kapoor's elizabeth which they presented as 
history and like I remember at the time where they sending out like press packs to schools and stuff which I mean and there's so much in there where it's kind of similar in Elizabeth they kind of get the essence of Elizabeth and the essence of the story well enough but all of these details are are wrong so I like that they're out in front by saying you know this is only a very loosely based on history and then that it's a comedy so because it's a comedy makes it work more for me if they were out in front being like this is only loosely based on history and they're trying to do a dramatic telling then I'd be like I'd have more problems with it I will note though that I did not expect it to be so serious so based on the um the, the trailers I thought it was going to be a rocking, ridiculous, like woohoo, rolling around, um, balls to the wall comedy, a period of romp, um, but a modern period of romp where we where we swear and and bird flip all the time, because that's what was that's the that's the trailers. Um, it's not. It's serious. Like certainly there are there is humor, um, particularly in the first two episodes where you get the contrast of. You know, Catherine's very naive and um, Peter's very much a frat boy and a douchebag. Um, and so there's there's comedy that plays off these different characters, but it's it's not it's very serious and sometimes goes into dark fucking places. Um, so it, it, it has highs and lows. It's a complex piece so far. And at first I was a little taken aback. I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. This is not what I thought I was getting into. Um, and I was concerned that the tone wasn't consistent. Actually, I was starting to think, well, okay, Tony McNamara, well, he's a co-writer. Um, he had another writer in The Favorite, and that's why The Favorite was so spot on, um, because every, you know, word was, you know, balanced. But it gets better, you know, and, it got, and I got into it. I actually would, you know, go back, going back to The Favorite, honestly. They did, he did kind of the similar thing with The Favorite, though. The, the history isn't 100%. Um, but the, and, and it is fun. It has like a lot of levity to it and, uh, but it's smart, it's arch, it's knowing, it's a nod and a wink and a fuck you, which I really appeals to me. So I'm not, you know, now that I'm, I'm like considering it, I'm like, it's not such a surprise that this, this show actually <laughs> kind of hits all those points for me. And I'm really, I really like it. So I would call it a dark comedy. I, I think I'd call it safely a dark comedy. I was I was feeling more like that the tone um, took a little while to balance, mm -hmm. and and again coming from the previews uh, and the trailers, which were all very very different in tone, they they only emphasized the the romping aspect. That's true. They they really did that whole like it's a wacky zany look at the 18th century, ha <laughs> ha. And yeah, so I did see that, and uh, but but I was pleasantly surprised. <laughs> with my dark little soul that I have uh, once watching it, that it was more than that. It was way deeper than that. And it, it went, it went to some very, very dark and uncomfortable places and then just bounced right back. And then we were back in like wacky weird, you know? And honestly that will, will bear better over 10 episodes than just a, a romp would. Um, so it makes sense. It's just, you know, I, I feel like they could have packaged it a little better. Um, nonetheless, uh part of and you both both mentioned this part of the reason why it's worked so far is that um the the trappings things like the costume uh are pretty damn historical so who wants to jump in on that 
Um, I'll start. I mean, I'll say that I think that they are definitely historical. They're about, depending on when exactly we're supposed to be, uh, 10, 20, 30 years out of date. So there's that. And there's there's a few, you know, minor quibbles. It's supposed to be 1760s. That's when that's when they get married. Or actually, no, when they get married was seven. That's when the coup happens. Right. Sorry. 1745 is when they got married. The coup happens yeah. in 1762. And then I would say that the costumes are more late 17. The dresses are more late 1770s um, with the, the fitted back robe a l'anglaise, which really, really takes off in the 1780s, even more so, at least in France and Russia in terms of Western dress followed France. But I think they're very well made. Um, by and large, there's you know a few tweaks and things, and we'll get into all of that. Um, they fit well. They work well for you know 1780s, and then obviously they're having a lot of fun with it as well. I think that uh, I agree with Kendra in that uh, the costumes are all incredibly well fitted. That was the one thing that stood out to me. If you're going to play around with history, you might as well make it fit well. If you're going to make anything, just make it fit, please, God. I can't stare at that weird armpit wrinkle for an hour. I don't think that they were going to... My sense is that a lot of these costumes on the principal characters were actually made for the principal characters. I don't think that they were going to a, um, you know, a a service or what's the word? A rental house. A rental house. (laughs) I don't think that they were going to a rental house and just pulling costumes for the principals um, because everything I've seen, especially on the women, everything I've seen on the female characters, the principal female characters that get meaningful screen time has been incredibly well fitted. There is no way in my mind that I could conceive of those things being made to fit a range of sizes and not that particular actress. Uh, they are definitely riffing on the 18th century. They're not definitely hardcore adhering to the 1760s. Uh, like Kendra said, a lot of uh, Catherine's costumes are very 1780s, uh, but they are well-fitted. They're made out of fabrics that I will probably say are most likely silk. Um without having to do a burn test, I can't actually say for certain, but they read on screen like silk and uh, and they look great. So and they also kind of fit each character really well. Um, from what little press that, that is available, um, uh, Lisa's stuff for Elle Fanning, it was, you know, particularly made for her. There's, um, uh, who is it, Emma Fryer, is that the name of the costume designer? Um, she apparently worked closely with Fanning and, you know, of course, the, 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 the hip thing to say is that the, you know, actor had some input in and we all, we always wonder about how, how true that is. But, um, you know, there, and the, there's supposed, supposedly, you know, we'll see, but there's supposedly a progress, particularly in the color story, you know, um, Catherine starts out very young and fresh and, you know, in pastels and, and light colors. Um, yellow and and blue and you know very very uh, innocent and naive. I mean she is. That's that's the character at the beginning. Um, and even as she's by the end of the first episode, she realizes, oh shit, I this sucks, and you know gotta overthrow this dude. Um, but she still dressed. Her, her clothes are still in these in these light color range. Um, 
the contrast is, of course, with the court, which is in deep jewel coat tones, dark colors, um, draped in furs, and, and also in an older or different style or style that harkens back to even older, you know. Um, so, so that was the one um, particular, you know, character that had that, you know, she had definitely her own uh, custom design, uh, everything. Uh, I was going to say most of the court ladies, I'm really liking what a lot of them are wearing. And they're wearing a lot of sort of extraneous drapery and sort of extra skirts that are flipped back and like a drape over the shoulder. And what it really reminds me of is 18th century stage costumes of Eastern European and Ottoman styles that, I mean, it looks straight out where they wear them over the panniers and all of that. Um, and I like that because that's sort of... Um, there was, a, I mean, again, Russians, especially under Catherine the Great, more and more followed French fashion. And yet they did have this whole, um, uh, their their own, you know, um, what we would consider kind of a Middle Eastern look. Um, and uh, so I think that's a really interesting hybrid. And it makes me wonder if the director actually looked at some of those um, images of, of actresses and things like that. So that made me really happy. It also really reminded me of the designs in the movie Vatel. Um, it totally reminded me of that, which is set um, almost a day, almost a century earlier, late seventeenth century, which is the Mantua, which is basically uh, a Middle Eastern or Far East Asian dressing gown that's been stylized. So it's it's all of that Middle Eastern and Asian influence, and that's one of the things that. Russian fashion during this period <laughs> has a huge range of influences and the Western fashion, Western European fashions and Western European courts really looked at Russia as like this like crazy exotic place, like what the actual fuck was going on with Russia. You know, there is, I'm, I'm super excited that nowadays so much is getting translated um, from from Russia, uh, Russia costume, Russian costuming history. So we get to actually read from their own words what was going on and understand what was going on um, from their own perspective. Because for until very, very recently, we're talking like in the last like 10 years, everything of, of Russia was, was just this like massive WTF to most Eastern European costume historians. <laughs> Western European. Oh, Western, I'm sorry, Western European costume historians. So, so yeah, what, what I, I look at this and I'm still thinking to myself, this might just be, you know, through, through Catherine's eyes, because Catherine comes from Western European court, she's looking at Europe or at, at, at Russia and just like these people do not understand fashion. They don't understand clothing. They don't even understand wigs. <laughs> and there we go to what's, um, it's supposed to be a visual joke. And I'm, I will, it is a hilarious joke that I, I've already seen some people comment on our Facebook page that they don't, they didn't get it. And I will credit that, that not, they didn't get it because it's not filmed well enough. And I, I this is a huge critique of the cinematography and maybe the director because it's a it's a few throwaway lines of dialogue and a lot of the filming is very dark but in the, this is in the first episode uh peter says go off with her and look at some hats and this is when he, she when catherine first encounters the ladies of the court and she goes off in this big room 
and they are they have a bunch of hat boxes and they have they have some actual hats but all of them all of the ladies are wearing what are basically you know powdered 18th century wigs and they're wearing them on their heads all backwards like like 10 five inches back on their head they're all they look stupid as fuck and and kathy's just kathy i'm gonna call her kathy because it's easy um and she's looking around and going who are these people these are they're, they're nuts and so she continues to have this like poor interactions with them because they don't read and they're just you know shallow and then gossipy blah 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 and so throughout and actually this was um, hinted at during the, the wedding feast she saw one lady who's patting her head and you, and you, you and if you look back you realize oh she had this powdered wig that way back on her head she was patting it like I heard the most fashionable thing in the world you can barely see it because that scene is so freaking dark I've only noticed it because I went back and I was screen capping and lightening the images anyway so towards the end of the episode Catherine comes up and, and tells these ladies, they're not hats. They're wigs and you're wearing them wrong. Maybe she doesn't say all that, but she says they're not hats because she, she gets it and they don't. And it's, it's a very subtle joke. It's a very funny joke that's poorly executed. I think especially the timing. I get that they wouldn't want to introduce the joke and then resolve the joke, but you want a few beats, but they let it go on too long. So you're spending all this time going, what the fuck? What the fuck? Uh, and then finally that comes out and you're like, oh my God. Oh, oh, this was a conscious decision and a joke. I think that when we were first watching the, the first episode, my boyfriend and I, we were sitting there and I was dialing it in as, oh God, it's just going to be another what the frock, you know, like, the, okay, so their wigs look super weird. It's an artistic decision yet again let's just chalk it up to that and my boyfriend turns to me and is like what the fuck is up with their wigs and i'm like nah, i don't know shut up and let the art wash over you and <laughs> and then like 30 minutes later as she's just gonna deliver a zing to some bitchy courtier and she just turns to that girl and is like they're wigs not hats and i went yes okay i have now been bought in you get me you understand me. I am into this. <laughs> and I was thinking, oh God, I'm going to have to point, you know, put up with these shitty wigs for some crazy artistic quote unquote decision. And so, yes, I was very relieved. And then even better was in the second episode, everybody's wearing their wigs properly. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so I was kind of like, I wonder if that's the director just like, you know, casting us a little like crumb, you know, <laughs> It's a, it's a good joke. It just needs to be a little bit tighter and better lit. I think that would have helped a lot because, again, I've already seen people not catching it, and I I understand it's it's a it's a subtle joke, um, but it's actually it's a joke put out there for us, you know, specifically for people who know their history and their costume history, because most I mean you know you know a lot of people would that would be right over their head. No pun intended. Finally, they're pandering to us. <laughs> Although we do need to make the caveat statement that in the 18th century, women did not wear full artificial wigs unless you really, you know, your hair was really thinning or something like that. They did wear a lot of artificial pieces and pads and things to augment their own hair, but there was the desire to make it look natural by working in your own hair. And men did wear consciously artificial, you can totally tell that's a wig, wigs. So just always like to throw that in there of course and speaking of men's wigs 
from the very first, Peter is wearing a wig. This is like so many times the men um, either have no wigs or they have shitty wigs. I, I, I love it. He just pops right up. He's, and of course, he, he takes it off and takes it on and takes it off like every five seconds. I like that. Much, he very much uses it like a hat. I yeah. like that. And I feel like I don't know that that's true, but I get the sense that that might have been the case. Well, it's very much of his, it's an it is insight to his character because he's, he's like, yeah, I should, but you know, I'm lazy or I'm cash, you know, it's, it's just like, it's him. Um, and so it's just kind of this funny thing that he does all the time and none of it all, but all of his uh, courtiers, they're all wearing their wigs very properly. And he's just like, flop it in, flop it off. <laughs> well, he's the king. Yeah. And he's like the rock star king, you know? I don't. Emperor. Thank you. So sorry. <laughs> I don't think he's much the rock star as more like the, the douchebag. Oh, well, yes. Dude boy. Dude, just, bro. I look at him as just being kind of like, he, he's just a clueless little fuckwad that's never been told no in his life. You know, like he doesn't, he doesn't care about proper wig etiquette because nobody's ever going to tell him no. Yeah. But, but yeah. Um, I will say too, that one thing I liked was uh, switching slightly onto, um, Mar uh, Mariel, the um, attendant, uh, Catherine's attendant that she gets assigned the very first day, who turns out to have this probably overarching big backstory that we're going to get into over the next like eight episodes and then some if the series continues. Um, but I'm actually kind of wondering if they're going to roll her character into the historical character Countess Bruce, who becomes uh, Catherine's like right-hand man basically in real life. So I'm kind of waiting for that. I'm like, is this gonna happen or not? Um, but Mariel is a uh, upper-class girl. We don't really know what her standing was, but she was a courtier um, whose family, her father apparently pissed off Peter and Peter demoted the entire family into servants. So now she's serving the Empress, which is still a really high station you know, duty. <laughs> so, Can that be done? I know, again, this is yeah, not yeah. being trying to be based in reality. Yeah. But I kept being but, like, how so, does that work exactly? She's the only attendant attending the Empress, which is also like, would never have happened in the real world. Um, but uh, Mariel kind of acts as the uh, sort of voice of conscience or not even conscience, but just sort of like <laughs> voice of reality for Catherine. She's also um, the interpreter too of this is how it works here. And But I, I liked Mariel's look. Um, I felt that it, it tracked really well with the like peasant costume, folk costume, Russian folk costume that what we know of. Um, and it was just beautifully fitted, made out of beautiful brocade fabrics. Um, it looks great on her. And uh, the one the one issue I had in the first episode was that her hair was down all the time. By the second episode, her hair is up and she's got it. She's actually in several scenes wearing a, um, like a headscarf, like a, a little head wrap that keeps her head covered when she's around others, not just Catherine. And uh and I'm starting to kind of, she's, she's starting to kind of grow on me as a, as a character. And I'm really, really digging her costume. So I'm interested to see where that goes. The, the hair was annoying me. Uh, so I'm glad they got that under control. And I do like that the, the head wrappy scarf thing, although I am no expert in Russian costuming, feels like a it's Russian right. folk. It's, it is right. It, I mean, right in the sense that it is something that they absolutely still do now and that we know they did then and even earlier. So it, it kind of tracks with that. Yeah. It's accurate enough. 
The other thing that I really like is that she's got the, uh, the sort of zig, the, so she's got a stomach or fronted stays with a zigzaggy lacing-y thing. And whatever they're using for the lacing and the trim really looks spot on to what you see on the, the kind of this flat, it's not core, it's not braid, it's like a tape, but it has this little like almost a, um, a Petersham kind of edge to it. Um, and that you see on real corsets of the period. And every time she comes on screen, I'm staring at that corset because it's really beautifully done and spot on. Yeah, I was going to say the exact same thing. It's beautiful. It looks so much like, uh, like so many images that I've seen of, of that style of, of corset with the lace thing and all that. Um, she has a couple other little uh, jackets or like one little jacket outfit and another some... Uh, peasanty blouse sort of thing which again not an expert on russian folk costume but you know i've seen a few images um and seriously it looks like straight out of any of just seriously just google you know russian mostly 19th century but still um there's there in, as far as peasant costume there hasn't been a ton of change over the centuries and it, it just looks like right right out of that in the uh posts that we did on um Catherine the Great, the, the more recent one with um, Helen Mirren, I, I do talk a bit about the examples that we do have of like nobility of noble women wearing quote unquote folk Russian costumes in the 18th century. And there's very similar, there's a lot of similarities there. And so I'm thinking that the costume designer was definitely looking at like, you know, what is what do we have modern wise that's considered a Russian folk costume? What do we know of the 18th century with the Russian folk costume? And it kind of all just sort of gets blended into this costume that um, Mariel wears. And you actually see other attendants that are supposedly the same station as Mariel wearing very similar costumes. A couple of specific costumes I wanted to talk about. There are two different riding habits that I loved. Um, uh, Catherine wears a blue one. Um, and I spent a lot of time trying to figure out how it was fitted because it's satin and it just fits her like an absolute glove. When I finally figured out it's got reverse, um, like uh, faux turn backs with buttons. And I think that must be a seam, like a princess seam that's hidden. But hey, kudos because you can't tell it's not, you know, it's not like a modern dart, obvious princess scene, whatever. And then um, Georgiana, is that it? Georgie, yeah, Georgiana, Georgie, they call her Georgie. Okay, Georgie yeah. um, later on has another writing habit that I think I want to say it's blue and green and just, it, it's so chic and fits her like a glove and she's got this cute little hat and oh, 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 oh. Looks exactly like one that's at the Met, and it makes me very happy. It's definitely a very militaristic one, like definitely, you know, based off of that. And it, it is gorgeous. That again, they fit the costumes. That the costume team in this show understands fit, which immediately I was like, I don't care what you do with the costumes, you get the fit. <laughs> yes. Make it fit right. And to go back to what you said earlier, Kendra, about like Elizabeth and how that was just supposed to be like, well, it's historically accurate and all you guys just don't know. And we're all actually we do. In this one, it's so like you're having fun with the silhouette. As long as the silhouette stays consistent, I'm happy. 
Yeah. No, yeah, they've made a world. And and again, there are a few places where things are a little weird. I mean, the one thing that I, I raised my eyebrows at a lot is the sort of blouse and skirt ensemble. Um, and I raised my eyes most when I first saw it in a, um, that Catherine starts wearing kind of as she starts to get a little more or a lot more attached to the idea of Russia and a little more, um, you know, less idealistic and starting to plot her coup and all of that. Um, and at first I was very irritated because I'm like, what the fuck, blouse and skirt in this era. Uh, I did realize, though, that it is cut on the lines of a men's 18th century shirt. So that made me feel a little bit better and I stopped hating it quite as much. And note, she's wearing it over a corset. Yes, which also made me happy. So, uh, and you can, it's, it's most visible in the scene where she tries to escape and she gets wet and you can totally see it there. But it's also, it's still visible in the other scenes where she's dry. You can eat, she's, so, you know, she's not just running around with her tits hanging out. In the second episode, you get another view of it and, and she kind of wears it as her like at home. But yeah, it's definitely, there's a, there's a real uh, Russian patriotic vibe that I got from it because when I first saw it I was like what is this weird chemise gown she's doing it's pretty but it looks like nothing that I've ever seen until I realized that it was it was actually like a Russian Russian peasant blouse or um smock actually I think it's what they call it like you know us Americans will call it a smock um with a skirt and the skirt and the smock there's actually two pieces uh with a big belt and they're very similar in color, so it reads as a all one outfit or one dress kind of a thing. But they're definitely um, two different fabrics. Yeah, they are two different fabrics if you look closely. And um, the uh, but but I do think it's supposed to be referencing the fact that she is getting more emotionally attached to the people of Russia. You know, yeah, this is kind of a nod to everyday Russian dress, I guess, at this time, which looked nothing like this in reality, but whatever, we'll go with it for the, for the sake of the show. Yeah. Um, is there anything else you want to cover? Cause I, um, something, uh, something more about the hair. I, I will, I will note again, uh, we've mentioned briefly that the, the hair was kind of mm, wacky in the first episode and then got like immediately better in the second. Uh, some of that, feels like, okay, well, I, I would like to put that down to some, you know, thematic thing, but a little bit, yes, okay, she starts out, Catherine starts out as this naive, you know, romantic thing, and she's young, and it's before she's gotten fucked, so she, her hair's are flowing free, except that, you know, her maid also has her hair down, and then suddenly gets it up, so, you know, whatever, that was weird. Um, so let's give a good uh, deep dive in the hair and we're going to go to Kendra because she has to, you know, it's her thing. Because I'm dying. Well, first off, I note that the hair and makeup designer is credited with nine episodes, not 10. And so that again makes me think that there was a change after the pilot. Because uh, in the pilot, not only is the hair down, it's side parted. And even when it's put up, it's side parted, which now after Tristan's genius Snark Week post is now become everyone's uh, massive pet peeve. Um, I guess the other thing that I would point out, um, you know, bad wigs that then morph into better wigs on the women, notwithstanding the, the styles that they are wearing is um, more 1770s. Um, and when Elle finally, or Catherine finally gets her hair up nicely, beautifully in the second episode, I spent the entire episode staring at that hair. It was so good. It's a Perfect tete de mouton that is very 1750s into early 1760s. So that hair 
is right for the period. All the court ladies are wearing hair from about 15 years later, but often designers do that with this period as a way to distinguish between characters. Here's the overwrought, overdone court ladies, and here is not even sweet, innocent, but sort of good and, you know, thoughtful and intelligent and not over the top and whatever, Catherine. I do think too that from a design standpoint, a lot of times I think people just default to the big hair because they say, you know, like nobody's going to understand this is really the 18th century unless we have the big hair. Um, Even though for actually a huge amount of the 18th century, it was relatively close to the head. Like you had the tête de mouton, like uh, Kendra just mentioned. Um, And I think that Elle Fanning's hair in the second episode, again, I couldn't take my eyes off of it. (laughs) She's so pretty. She is so pretty already. And that there's style, it just looks so good on her. And I'm starting to get big puffy hearts when it comes to her. It's so far two two shows or two movies, movie and a show. And I'm already like, yeah, this girl, like, mm -hmm, she's cool. Yeah, she gets she's underrated because she was actually really good in um, um, Mary Shelley. Um, I really like that. Uh, I know she like sixteen in that movie. <laughs> Practically, yeah, she was, and, and that was kind of the point is that she was the same age, close to the same age as Mary Shelley when um, Mary Shelley's actual age for that. So um, yeah, so the the hair uh, got so much better. Um, uh, and I, I, on the screen caps, um, Kendra will need to note what a tete a mouton is because um, people may not be familiar with the technical terms. It is and- the sheep's head hairdo, which is basically, and I'll put it in the blog post too, it, um, these um, curls that go, um, I want to say vertically, but I don't know if that's the right word, but in these very um, organized lines going from the, the hairline on the forehead back on the head. And we'll give you visuals. I did notice that the wacky aunt had big, bushy, crazy 1780s hair, which again, um, uh, fine with on a design perspective, except there's a scene where she's in her um, private room and her hair is down. And she has got heavy metal chick hair with like a perm and like short permed poofy bangs. And, and that was deeply upsetting. Well, that's when she's sitting in her little goth, uh, you know, poet's blouse with no pants on and she's just chilling, man. She's training butterflies, so I'm going to let it slide. But that that was metal chick hair up the wazoo. The only character so far where I'm just like, seriously, is actually Aunt Elizabeth, where I, I just... I get what they're doing. And I knew as soon as I, as soon as she appeared on screen, I was like, Tristan's soulmate is on screen. <laughs> Actual fact. But at the same time, I'm like, really? Okay, whatever. All right, cool. I'll let it go. She's delightful. She's actually a really sweet character so far. Maybe who knows? It doesn't hold up. But the first two episodes, she's, she's <laughs> really like harmless crazy auntie and really sweet everyone needs one of those she needs to say bibbity bobbity boo more often um i have another topic that to, to to discuss briefly um before we wrap up and that is uh i really like the colorblind casting that's making me very happy Uh, i think it works perfectly in a in a show like this that is not purporting to show this is what count orlov really looked like and did and whatever i think it's super cool so it's make that's making me happy 
Yeah, I was gonna say for a minute there, I had to think like what, and like oh yeah, because it's so it just blends in uh, along with everything else. Yeah, which you just is, don't even which is proof that you don't need to be a certain color to play a certain character and have it believable because you don't notice it, and who cares, right? Well, and I still argue for me, like if it's you're going to show me Henry VIII, I'm going to expect a tall redhead, you know, those kinds of things. And even, you know, there was debate about the Mary Queen of Scots movie with the um, uh, Gemma Chan, who's of Asian heritage, playing um, Bess of Hardwick. I didn't love it because she was kind of the only, I mean, there was like one or two minor such a small character though i mean that that was the other thing yeah. it was random because it wasn't it was okay there were one or two other people of color in even smaller parts but so it, but it, to me it kind of stuck out in the sense of like wait why is this one thing different but in this case where it's through first of all it's throughout great and secondly again it's not like this is trying to be a documentary so i'm fine with it if you're trying to give me this is the real story of then I probably want someone who might look a little bit more like the person. But otherwise, but yeah, so yeah, I'm enjoying it. And I'm loving the actor who's playing, I think they call him kind of Orlo instead of Orlov here. Yeah, it's, it's a, there's a variation in how it's spelled, but Orlov, Orlov. Okay, well, I I love the, the actor. I think he's this super cute, that sort of sweet, nerdy hipster kind of, I don't know, I really like him. He is great. I'm looking forward to seeing where that develops because we know that if there's, if they go by any sort of history, I mean, obviously he's part of the coup. So we've got that much going and we'll see what else goes. Spoiler alert, Orlov is basically the architect of the coup in real yeah. life. So, <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> and don't worry, he survives, at least in real life. I don't know about in the show. Maybe who knows? Because who knows what's going to yeah, happen? Who knows what who survives in yeah, the show? Yeah, uh, no, he, he survives and uh, dies of old age, like in the 1780s. Yeah. <laughs> I thought he was one of her lovers as well. Oh, he is. But he's her, he's her first that they think docu for sure documented one. Yeah. Um, there's a couple of others that are like, yeah, probably shagged. Probably, in fact, I think another one that may have even fathered a child with her. But uh, again, this is my new diving in rabbit hole. So new to this history. Please forgive me if I don't get a thousand percent right off the bat. But Orlov is like the first major kind of love of her life. Well, actually. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> you know what? Mm. Well, actually, just never use those words. Never. <laughs> those two words together. Fuck right off. <laughs> so again, though though their you know affair is not if it's not getting a promising start if it is gonna happen in this show. But I like I actually hilarious. That was such a great scene. It was a great scene. I kind of think actually that it won't happen, but we'll see. Yeah, it was it was super hilarious. Um, the the whole shitty seduction, awesome. Um, so, oh God, when she says something with like let a boom casually fall out. Yes. Oh God, I was dying again. Mariel is the font of all amazing sexual wisdom in this show, and yeah, the the way she describes like how to seduce a man is. And especially because Catherine's wearing this incredibly tightly fitted corset. There's no way you could flop a boob out of that thing. You know? <laughs> she does. She kind of is like, uh, and it doesn't really come out. And oh, it's hilarious. It's good. It's very good. 
Yeah. I love his comment about I never have the oysters because they've flown too they're, they're tra they've traveled too far. And like, yes, that's true. Don't have oysters if you're too far from the sea. Uh, <laughs> like how far inland is this? <laughs> it's in fucking St. Petersburg or Moscow or anywhere. I mean, anywhere that's it's Russia's huge. You're too far from the sea. Don't eat the oysters. Uh, <laughs> fact. Yes, words to live by. Okay, so this has been two episodes. <laughs> We got a bunch more to go through and, um, and it's good. So we're going to keep doing it. Um, and so we'll have, we'll be back in uh, two, in one week, no, two weeks, two weeks, two weeks. And we said every other week. So that's a week. We have a week off next week. We have a week yeah. off and then we'll be back yeah. with another podcast and a blog post. And um, so uh, if you're watching, you can watch along with us or you can binge the whole thing and, and, you know, spoiler us, but whatever it's, who cares? There's no spoilers in history or in fucked up history, fucked up non-history like this is. We don't care. We're good. Um, <laughs> we're out for now. And uh, we're Frockflix. You can find us at frockflix.com. You can find us at on Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter, uh, all over the place. And if you're a Patreon subscriber, we love you even more. That we do. Subscribe to our Patreon. <laughs> so we're out for now. Bye. Bye. Bye.